We are getting a special lesson today from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. The familiar parable of the prodigal son. And he, Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What a beautiful day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I'm rejoicing because it is good to be back at Redeemer, to see new faces and certainly some old faces. I don't mean old in the sense that you're old. <laughs> But it's good to be back. As we are about to give attention to the Word of God, let us pray. Our Father and our God, all men are like grass and all their glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. And Lord, this morning we stand on your infallible truth, your inerrant word. And we pray that our hearts would be pliable, that you would teach us by your spirit. Help us to come to grips with the text. Help us, Lord, to love you more. Help us to die more to self and live more each and every day for your glory. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
I heard a story about a loving pastor who had a young son who was quite ill. And after the son went through a battery of tests, the doctors determined that the son did not have long to live. The father, overwhelmed with pain and sorrow, knowing that his young son was a Christian, still had a mighty task of giving him the bad news. The father knew that the son had accepted Christ at a very early age, but still he was overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed. And so after a season of prayer, and after reading scriptures, he went to his son, and after he prayed with his son, and after they read scriptures together, he said, Son, are you afraid to meet Jesus? To which the young son responded, No, Father, not if he's anything like you. What a loving father. What a loving father. We find surprises in the Bible. How do you explain a son who rejected his father's love? How do you explain a son who goes to his loving father and he says to his loving father, I want my piece of the rock, I want my inheritance. Do you realize that was tantamount to the son going to his father and saying to his father, I wish you were dead. And by the way, pops, I wish the funeral service had already taken place so I can split my piece of the rock with my brother. Certainly the Bible has many, many surprises. Charles Dickens was a great short story writer, as well as Edgar Allan Poe, though dark, and O. Henry. But the greatest short story of them all is right here in God's Word. The amazing love of a father. In this text... Well, actually, in chapter 15, we find three parables. And, of course, we see something that is lost or someone that is lost is found. And there is rejoicing. But not everyone is rejoicing. Because the Pharisees saw the lost through different eyes. He thought the lost, he thought the sinful people of this world were beyond the hope of God. What we find in this text, as many people have said, is the gospel within the gospel. When you think of God, 
What comes to your mind? Our catechism says, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. But when you think of the heart of God the Father, what comes to your mind? What comes to my mind is this text. Firstly, we see the son is mad. Here's a young man, he goes to his holy, loving, and righteous father, and he says to his father, I've had it. I can't stand all the rules and regulations. I can't stand it when you say, do this and don't do that, do this and don't do that. Weekends were made for partying. Weekends were made for South Beach. Weekends were made for Michelob. And all we ever get around here is milk. And so he goes to his father, man is a hornet, and he says to his father, I've had enough. I want my piece of the rock and I want it right now. And so the young man gets his piece of the rock, he gets his inheritance, he hops on his Harley, and he screeches out of the driveway. Where's he heading? The text says he's heading for the far country. And you ask, where is the far country? Where is the far country? Is it some place in the Far East? Is it somewhere in Perth, Australia, which is the farthest point from Peoria, which is approximately 8,000 plus miles away? Where's this far country? Is it someplace in the land of Oz? The far country is the heart that stands in rebellion against God. The far country is a preacher who honors the Lord Jesus Christ with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. And yet the Bible says, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. You see, the prodigal son fled his home, the father that loved him, to pursue his own goals, to pursue his own desires. He wanted to be free from his father's regulations. He was tired of reading those devotionals at night. He was tired of the hymn singing, the Bible reading. He was tired of studying the catechism. So he fled. But we know that sin always has its price, don't we? Look at the Israelites who stood in rebellion against God. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness because they loved the far country more than God. 
Or look at Samson, who was tempted by the temptress Delilah, who pursued the far country rather than doing the will of God. Or look at that man after God's own heart, David, pursued the far country, certainly for a season. Or look at Peter, that great apostle, who denied the Lord Jesus Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. And then realized that he had sinned against his Savior and wept and wept like a baby. The Bible says that the prodigal squandered his wealth. He spent money left and right. Not only was his soul empty, but his pockets were empty as well. And Pops was not around to bail him out. So what does he do? The prodigal goes to the local Barnes and Noble. And what does he do there? He's not looking at the sports magazines. He doesn't give a hoot about who's playing in the Super Bowl tonight. Has no interest in those things. He goes to the classified section of the paper in the Middle East Tribune, and he finds there in the paper a job he can do. Pig farming. How degrading. A Jew feeding pigs. But you see, that's where our sin takes us. When we desire to live in the far country, sin takes us to pig farms. The Bible says, but no one gave him anything. So again, his pockets were empty. His soul was empty. His heart was empty. The prodigal, to be sure, was bad. But now we see the prodigal was sad. What happens when the prodigal comes to his senses? What happens when the prodigal sees things as they really are? What happens? What happens is verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Heaven? He wasn't talking about heaven when he screeched out of the driveway. He wanted nothing to do with God. He wanted nothing to do with heaven. I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Young people, do you realize every time you dishonor your parents, 
You are taking a clenched fist at God and saying, I don't care what your word says about honoring father and mother. Do you realize when we put other things before a holy God, we are saying to the God of heaven, we're taking a clenched fist at God and we're telling him, I don't give a rip about seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. When you squander your days for your own pursuits and pleasures, you're saying to God, I don't give a hoot about following your will. So the prodigal came to see that everything in his lifestyle was a clenched fist at the God of heaven and earth. Bad feelings, a lot of tears, a lot of remorse means nothing to God. He wants action. Listen to the words of Thomas Watson. Take heed of abusing the mercy of God. Suck not poison out of the sweet flower of God's mercy. Think not that because God is merciful, you may go on in sin. This is to make mercy your enemy. To sin because mercy abounds is the devil's logic. He who sins because of mercy is like one who wounds his head because he has a bandage. He who sins because of God's mercy shall have judgment without mercy. Our catechism says repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension and the mercy of God in Christ doth with grief and hatred turn from his sin and unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. But my, 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 how the seduction of sin is powerful. I'm sure this man, as he desired to leave the far country, had women draped all over him. You promise me this. You promise me that. But here's this man. He left the girls. He left the drugs. He left the booze. He left everything. And he makes his journey back to his father. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Honor your father and your mother. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Where once this prodigal despised God's truth, 
He came to embrace it. He came to love it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. You see, the picture of faith is fleeing from our sin and turning to the God who has redeemed us through Jesus Christ our King. That's true repentance. And meanwhile, the father had not been the same since the son left the home. He waited and waited and waited to hear those familiar footsteps. Thanksgiving went by, Christmas went by, the New Year's came and went. And then verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And so what does the father do? I'll tell you what he does. He goes to his closet, finds a two-by-four, and he gets ready to wallop his son as he comes through the door. That's what he does. Is that what the text says? No. This father's smarter than that. He goes to the gun cabinet. And he pursues to find his 44 Magnum. I've had it with you, boy. What about this? That's not what he does. A hundred times now. Did the father go up to his son with a list of rules and regulations? It's not what he does. And as the son is coming to his father, what is he thinking? He's rehearsing his speech. Hey, daddy <laughs> I've heard you miss me. I've heard you've shed a few tears for me. Hey, Pops, this is your lucky day. Here I am. That's not what the text says. Here's what the father was thinking. He saw his son with all of his ugliness, with all of his sin with all of his vileness. He saw his son with all of that, with all of his depravity. And the Bible says the father saw him and was filled with compassion. And the next thing we know is the father chases after his son like a cheetah. He runs, he hugs, and he kisses his son. And the father said, by his actions, how much he loved his son. And the son's response was, Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, the compassion of God is not for the arrogant. It's not for the proud. It's not 
for those who boast in what they are, who they are. The compassion of God is for those who realize that they are spiritually bankrupt apart from the grace of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it interesting that the Beatitudes start with that? We have to acknowledge who we are in light of the holiness of God. And the Son came to see that. Now, what if the Father decided to treat His Son in the manner in which His misconduct deserved? What would we have? What would we have? There wouldn't be Thanksgiving. That would be a sham. Christmas would be a sham. Resurrection Sunday would be a sham. We would have absolutely nothing. And we would say, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. The secularist is right, you live, you die. And you never come to grips with why you are here and what the purpose is for breathing. We would never understand. We would never understand. But the greatest words in all of the Bible are found right here in verse 24. Because this is our story. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That right there is the only hope we have. Because that's my story and that's your story if you're a believer in Christ. We see the son was bad. We see the son was sad. And now we see the son is glad. So what does the father do? He says, get the robe, get the ring, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, and let's celebrate. And what a celebration it was. Because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace we have been saved through faith. Charles Spurgeon said it well. He wrote, I must confess, I never would have been saved if I could have helped it. As long as I could, I rebelled and revolted and struggled against God. When he would have me pray, I would not pray. When he would have me listen to the sound of the ministry, I would not. 
And when I heard, and the tear rolled down my cheek, I wiped it away and defied him to melt my heart. Then he gave me the effectual blow of grace. And there was no resisting that irresistible effort. It conquered my depraved will and made me bow myself before the scepter of His grace. And so it is in every case. Man revolts against his Savior, but where God determines to save, save He will. God never was thwarted yet in any one of His purposes. Man does resist with all his might, But all the might of man, tremendous though it be for sin, is not equal to the majestic might of the Most High. That's grace. That's grace. Grace is not God the Father reaching down to us and we reaching up to God halfway. No, the text is right. We were dead. And by the grace of God, we were made alive. So that we, by His grace, could respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a Puritan writer once said, even our tears of repentance must be washed by the blood of the Lamb. And John Newton was right as well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. What a love story. What an important story just before Valentine's. Because right here is the ultimate love story. And it's no wonder Robert Murray McShane, that great, great Scottish preacher, said, When I stand before the throne dressed in beauty, not my own, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. You see, this text should compel us to tell others about our glorious Savior. This text should compel us to minister to them. This text should make us realize that there is no one who is beyond the hope of God's grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, greater than all of our sin. The amazing love of a father, our Heavenly Father, who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us of our sins. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, 
Our Savior said to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. O Lord, how true! For your word is sure, your word is true. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Thank you, Lord, for these simple reminders. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us the heart to cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. How quick we are, Lord, to judge others. And Lord, if we could continue in this chapter, we would see that not all is well in this household. Because there is one son who thought he was Mr. Right, who truly stands in rebellion against your truth. Oh, Lord, may that son not be us. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.